So, ask God to give you the name of the person he wants you to invite to back to church Sunday and use the homecoming ticket to invite them to join us on September 18th. At least once a year, I like to bring in some of my Aaron's famous chili. The trick is to undercook the onions. Everybody is going to get to know each other around the pot. I'm serious about this stuff. I'm up the night before pressing garlic and dicing whole tomatoes. I toast my own ancho chilies. It's a recipe passed down from Dormans for generations. It's probably the thing I do best. I have never been to one of these chili cook-offs before, but I hear Aaron wins every year. Now, if his chili is anything like it's been today, I'm definitely going to win. Ever since I moved here, everybody's been telling me what an awesome cook Aaron is and how he wins the chili cook-off every year. So I was super excited to give his chili a try. It was a little crunchier than I thought it would be. But it was super good, super good. Would you tell him I said that? Don't eat the chili. The annual chili cook-off returns on September 18th. Go shopping for the ingredients in your best recipe and get prepared to stir up the best pot of chili and bring it to the Ravencrest Chalet after second service at 1230. We can't wait to see you there. Morning church. Bet y'all forgot I looked like that. <laughs> Let's stand. We're going to worship today. So this morning I was thinking about, um, well, yet, let me give you a little backstory. Uh, yesterday I went up to Gem Lake. So if you've ever been up to Gem Lake, it's it's like a thousand feet of elevation gain. You get up there and uh, there's this tiny little, I don't know if you could really call it a lake, it's more of a puddle. Um, but you get up there and, and Mike Northcutt and I, we were talking and I was like, man, where does this water come from? Like, is there a stream that goes into it? But one thing is certain is that wherever there is water, there's a stream. And wherever there's a stream, there are headwaters. And so this morning, as we begin to think about worship and and what we're about to do here now as the people of God. Uh, I want you to think of your worship as the stream, uh, and as we sing praises, this is the stream of worship that we have to give to God. Uh, but I want to ask you a question. What is your source? What, what's the source of your worship today as we begin to lift up songs of praise to the Lord Most High? What is the source of your worship? Now, for a lot of us this morning, without thinking about it, the source of our worship might just be, we do it every week. It might just be routine. It, it might be white-knuckled obedience, but what I think the Lord wants us to lean into is that our source would be that He is the worthy King. That needs to be our source today. He is our worthy King. And so let's look to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to make uh, the source of our worship the fact that he is worthy. Make this time all about him. Let's, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we do pray that you would come and that you would change and turn our hearts towards you this morning. Lord, some of us may be here just out of routine and we do this every week. 
and that's where our worship comes from. We're just singing words on a screen. Uh, and, and for some of it, us, it might just be white knuckle obedience. We feel like we just need to be here, and we're going to obey, but we're not going to like it. Uh, and we're going to sing as quietly as we can. But Lord, I pray that you would just steal our hearts and our affections this morning. Lord, that we would worship you not out of obligation, but out of adoration. That we would worship you because we see you as beautiful, majestic, worthy, holy, righteous. Lord, Lord, capture our hearts this morning that you are the King of kings and you are worthy of it all. Worthy of every ounce of praise that we have to give. So Lord, be with us this morning as we sing these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
church. Is he worthy? this song is we want to make this our prayer this morning as we look into uh, God's mission for his church and what he's called us to be here in the Estes Valley here as citizens of this nation uh, globally uh, what we want to do is we want to ask the Lord to be our vision to lead us to guide us to call us very specifically to specific people uh, and so as we sing this song uh, we're only going to be effective missionaries really here in Estes Park here in the world that God has placed us in, uh, if God is everything, if he is our delight, if he is uh, the, the one who holds our hearts. Uh, and so uh, we're going to sing this kind of added course to, to be thou my vision, uh, and, and we'll teach it to you right now. I think we've never done it before. Um, so this is how it goes, and then, then we're going to sing it together. sing that together again.
continue in our prayers this morning. Let us pray for unity in the church, the church worldwide, the church nationwide, and even the church locally, that we may be of one mind and one spirit with our Lord and Savior. this morning. Let us pray for our future church home, for land, and for a building. Let us pray that we find the right place at the right time, and that we will be the right people to fill that place. continue in our prayers. Let us pray for five to invite. Let us pray that five people will reveal themselves to us, that we can give an invitation to, to join us here at this church, to join us in the kingdom of God. this morning, we do so from our knees, humbly, knowing that you are God and not us, that by our own strength and power, we have no strength or power, but you who created all of the universe, who know each of our names and the number of the hairs on our heads, you have that power. We know that you hear us. We ask that you answer us. But beyond the answers, Lord, we ask that you would tune our minds and our hearts to your will so that regardless of what your response is, we give you glory, we give you worship. For we pray not by our own design, but in accordance with your design in order that your name be glorified and your kingdom grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter into this time of communion and the trays are passed around, take a juice and a piece of bread and hold on to them until the end of the meditation where we will take them all together. In the book of Joshua, we read this. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. As we prepare to take the communion together, let us think about these words and how they relate to the image of communion. That Christ is with us in our hearts wherever we go. Because of him, we can be strong and courageous to do the will that he has written in the scripture, the instructions that he has given us. Let us think about what it means to be strong and courageous as we go about doing the will of God. disciples and he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and so now together as one body in Christ let us take this bread remembering that he is our source of strength and courage and in the same way Jesus took the wine and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my blood, which is poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so now together, as one body in Christ, remembering to meditate day and night on God's word and do his will, let us take this juice together. Heavenly Father, as we participate in the communion this morning, help us to remember its purpose. That the sacrifice you gave was so that we would have your spirit in us. A spirit not of timidity, but a spirit of strength and of courage. To do those things that you have commanded of us. To go out into the world and be your witnesses. Help us to remember this, Lord. Give us the power to do this so that we may complete our obligation as your people, that we may be able to do your will locally, nationally, and internationally in order that your kingdom will grow and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is in your most holy and powerful name that we pray all of these things. Hello, and welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. 
Whether you're attending in person or connecting online, it is great to have you worshiping with us. If you are a guest, we are thrilled that you're here with us and have a special gift for you. It is a book called Unshakable. If you did not receive a copy already, please stop by the Welcome Center after the service. Before we get started, let's talk about the green connection card found in your bulletin. If you're online, you can visit our website, estespark.church, and click the yellow connection card button on the homepage. Once you have your card, please fill out your name and current contact information. One of the primary reasons we ask you to fill out the connection card is because we believe that God has a reason for having you here today. By filling out the card, you're letting God know that you're prepared to take some next steps as the service progresses, and it allows us to pray for you and support you as you take those steps. You'll hear more about those steps at the end of today's message. So hold on to your connection cards and drop those off in the offering baskets at the end of the service. Inside your bulletin, you'll also find an offering envelope. If you came prepared to give today, please place it in the offering basket along with your connection card. And if you're online, go ahead and hit that give button on our website. With all that said, let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord and get into the message. Good morning. Yeah, welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about really how we get to do that and why it's so important that we do that. And um, we are in our series on uh, Go. It's a missions kind of focused um, series as we talk about our our call, our commission from God to be able to go and to reach our community and, and our nation and our world with the great news of Jesus. Of course, as our church, we really feel compelled that we want to saturate this valley where missionaries Estes Park with the good news of Jesus, with the gospel. So everyone who lives here at least knows who God is, uh, how what Christ has done for them, how they can respond to him and have a relationship with him and a good church family to grow up in faith together. Now, not everybody's going to respond to that, but at least they should know, right? And so uh, this is part of that, that we have to make sure that we are going. Last week, we prayed for our community as one of the first things uh, in there. And uh, I gave these nice little uh, cards out that really kind of talk about how we need to be praying for our own homes, our neighbors, as well as our community. And so if you... um, didn't get one or you've misplaced yours we have several in the back on your way out but something just to remind yourself over once a week if we can be praying for our homes and for those as you drive through your neighborhood or as you um, drive through town if we begin praying God is going to be opening doors for us to be able to bring the gospel there and that's going to be important today we then talk about what do we do when those doors are opened, right? So we don't just uh, go in prayer with, uh, with God's Holy Spirit, with His Holy power, with His Holy purposes, um, but we actually have uh, to go and we're going to go bless. And of course, all of these things come to us, are, are, are rooted in uh, our memory verse for the series, which is Acts 1-8, which is the second part of the, uh, or the second uh, uh portion of the Great Commission, where first the Matthew uh, 28, where Jesus says, you know, go to all people, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded, and that that promise that he'd be with us always to the end of the age. And then right before Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, he gathers his disciples there outside of Jerusalem, not very far away, and uh, he, he tells them uh, this very thing. He says, but uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so one of the things that's important for us as Christians is to memorize these great passages of Scripture because 
uh, they're great for a reason, right? They, they give us our marching orders and to remember the strategy or what God wants us to do. So with that in mind, just say this along with me one time. Here we go. Three, two, one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8, right? It's a powerful passage, right? Because it reminds us, just like the apostles had originally, that, that God came to save more than just us, right? They had this idea. They said, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Uh, you know, are you going to come now and finally set up the kingdom, the throne, in, in David's throne in Jerusalem? Are you going to bring the rulers of this world to their knees under the, you know, the iron rod of your, your authority, right? Are you going to destroy those who have stood in opposition to you? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know those times. Like, certainly Jesus is coming back. But he did say this, until I do, He's given us marching orders. So I encourage you, take some time and really think about this and pray about this. Because like the apostles, I think oftentimes our vision and our hearts need to be expanded to understand that the ministry and the mission is so much bigger than I think we would ever have, have, have designed it. And it's a good reminder. So on your connection card on the top there, there is a memory verse card for you. You can take that with you. It's perforated, so you can easily tear that off. And, and it's an opportunity not just to memorize, but this week I'm encourage you to also meditate on it. You think about what does that mean? How does that apply to you? What is God calling us and our church and for you to do? All right? Last week we talked about Jerusalem. You may be witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, for them, that was kind of the, the first city, right? Their hometown. For us, our Jerusalem is Estes Park. And today we're going to focus on that second part, uh, which is Judea and Samaria, which means that we're called to go not just locally, and, uh, but also regionally and nationally, right? That God has called us to have an impact in the very culture in which we live in, not just our own hometown. That's why he said Judea, right, which was the kind of the state in which Jerusalem was in. It's the area that was that. And then Samaria, which is kind of regionally, right, that whole area that for people that were more than just Jewish, they had the Samaritans were there too. So in that same area, regionally and nationally, that, that God, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses there. Which for the Israelites, uh, for Jesus' disciples, that would have been mind-blowing. I mean, they would have said, of course, Judea. Right, Jerusalem's okay, we'll, we'll have the kingdom of God start in Jerusalem, right? But it makes sense to our countrymen, to the rest of the people that are around us, that are like us, we'll, we'll be your witnesses there. But Samaria? They don't like them. They're different. They believe things totally different than we do. They're hostile towards us. We don't particularly want to see them in the kingdom sometimes because they're not very fun to be around. But Jesus said, no, you're going to make a difference there too. And so we're talking about how do we reach regionally and nationally, and, and uh, how we do that really matters. Now, oftentimes as Christians, I think we understand this, and so we, we understand that we have an obligation to our nation to be able to reach it for the gospel. But if we do it clumsily or in the wrong spirit or the wrong way, we actually uh, work against ourselves. That Jesus actually in Scripture actually tells us how we're supposed to reach our nation, and it's not like we would normally do it, Right? Now, we have natural strategies as humans of how we interact with a culture that is in opposition to our faith, right? And, and these are been practiced throughout history, and there's basically three ways that, that people naturally respond when they're put into an environment where they say, okay, we have, our, we have our way of doing things, and then the culture around us does things different. This is how we're going to, to interact with it. And the first way that people we usually try to do is to separate, 
right? To say, we're going to be different than them. The culture is bad, and we don't want to be bad. We want to be holy and different, and so we're just going to separate ourselves from the culture so that we at least can stay pure. We don't want to be contaminated by all the bad thought and all the bad people out there. So we withdraw into our own little compounds and separate ourselves away from culture. And in Jesus' time, right, there was what the Qumran community, right? We have the Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that. There were different communities out there, the Essenes, the things that would separate themselves away from culture because they said culture is contaminated, is bad, we're going to be different. In Christianity, we've done this too. Think about the monastics, right, who pulled themselves away. They had these monasteries away from culture. We're not going to be contaminated by all those awful pagans that live out there. We're going to keep the pure faith. And I think even today we have communities and, and uh, even Christians. I think of like, um, uh, like the Quakers did this for a little bit or uh, that pull away and say, we're going to stay holy. Right? And so that's the first way, that's the most peaceable way of, of interacting with a hostile culture. If uh, for some that was natural to do, but others would be like, you know what, we're going to be in this culture, but we don't want to pull away. Instead, we're going to rebel. Right? We're going to be in this culture, but we're going to, uh, but we're going to work against it. We're going to undermine it. Right? We're not powerful enough to take it on uh, you know, just by ourselves. We can't go to war with this culture, so we're going to do everything we can to undermine and to be at war with or enmity with this culture that is at war with God's ways. And so in Jesus' time, there was groups like the Zealots. Right? One of Jesus' apostles was a zealot, Simon. Right? And what they would do is they would fight against, sometimes assassinate Romans. They would do everything they could to, you know, to subvert the, the ways of the culture around them. Right? They would be at this, this underlevel war. And in Christianity, there's been uh, lots of times that we've had rebellions. I think about, I think most profoundly for us, since we're Protestants, we think about the Catholic-Protestant wars. Right? In, in the 1500s, where you have the Protestant Reformation happens, right? then you have the, the Protestants moving away from the Catholics, and then all of a sudden, Christians started slaughtering each other right? and, and killing each other, and sometimes subvertly. Right? It wasn't open warfare a lot of times. And that, that fight actually lasted all the way through like the 1970s. Like we think about what they call the Troubles in Ireland, where you'd have the Catholics and the Protestants blowing each other's up and all those horrible things. Rebellion. And so we see this as, as common, ha happens a lot. And when you have enough power and you want to fight and resist an, the, the hostile culture, the third way that people really, you know, kind of naturally handle it is, is, is to conquer. I mean, if you don't have to rebel, if you have the ability just to impose your will upon the different society, if you can actually just fight the, the, the resistant culture and, and take it over, that's what... Oftentimes, people, we want to do, right? So we impose ourselves on the rest of culture. And so we see that in, uh, throughout history. I think in, uh, before Jesus in the intertestimonial period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The, the Greeks were, were over the top of, of Israel and owned them. And then you had uh, the, uh, the Maccabee Rebellion, right? The Hasmoneans stepped up and they, uh, and they brought the people and really fulfilled scripture and they, they really threw off the uh, conquered their, their land back and uh, were able to bring Judaism back into more a pure form and, and until the Romans came and so they had that freedom that was a conquering type thing uh, we see that in our faith the crusades 
right? Um, you know, oftentimes the very first crusades was a uh, defensive measure against a very aggressive and militant Islamic uh, uh, assault on the Western world where they were slaughtering people. So the Christians stood up and then we kind of got a little overzealous and then we had several other crusades after, like a lot of them. We would go over and we would conquer cities and we would say, we don't care what you believe, you're going to be Christian now, right? Because we have the power. And so, and that wasn't really a good thing for us to do. But to realize in throughout history, these are the three major strategies or responses that humans have against a hostile culture. Not just in faith, but in life, right? So we think about just politically. Oftentimes, we, we see these same things. You disagree with the, uh, a government politically, what do people do? Sometimes they have their own compounds and they separate. Sometimes they fight rebellions and they assassinate and do things like that. Sometimes they'll go and have like... Uh, well, like the communist revolutions, you have a conquering, right? Where you have your ideology and you're going to force and impose it on other people. This is how humans respond. And so when we read Jesus' message about going to the world, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, oftentimes in our mindset, we have this, this strategy in our thinking. And sometimes it seeps into the church, into our evangelism. Problem is, is this is a human way of doing things, and as far as I know, that not any one of those three has ever effectively transformed human hearts. And this is not the way the kingdom of God was supposed to be spread, because it's not like these kingdoms of this world. In fact, we find other places in the New Testament where, where Jesus really gives us the method, a different way of bringing his kingdom to our nation. And... We read about that in 1 Timothy. And if you have your Bibles, you want to turn them to 1 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 2. Now, the book of 1 Timothy is, is one of the what we call the pastoral epistles. These were written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit to a couple of his protégés. They're going to be the next generation of the church. And in these letters that he writes to them, because it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's for us as well. And they talk about, Paul talks about how the church is to be structured, what's important, how, does, how are we supposed to operate, how do we have a healthy and growing and active church to be able to fulfill the mission that God has given us. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, because it's a personal letter that, God, uh, that, uh, that Paul writes to Timothy first, even though it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are some personal things that he writes in there. And he introduces himself, it's the, the introduction portion of it. He tells them, you know, kind of the general idea of, of you know, what's going on. But he gets to chapter 2, and he gets really into the heart of the matter of really, uh, these are the instructions for how you're supposed to pastor a healthy church. And that's where we get to. So the first um, eight verses is where we're going to be today. And uh, if you have your Bibles, it's great because you could take notes in them. If not, I'm going to still have it on the screen for you. And it says this. It says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now in that passage, and it, it's an important one, right? It's uh, really God's guidance on how do we reach our culture. 
How do we reach our nation and our town? Um, and it, I think it's interesting in this, and, nor, and throughout the rest of the New Testament, we're not called to separate. Uh, there's nowhere in there that Jesus says, I want you to stay pure in, non, in all nations, right? And you can baptize your own kids, but forget about the rest. And y- you learn how to obey me in all things, because you're not going to get that mastered, so good luck with that. But leave the rest of the pagan world to it. doesn't tell us to separate. doesn't tell us to rebel. doesn't say, hey, uh, go and assassinate all the godless leaders and get rid of them, right? And go be militant. It doesn't tell us to do that. Nor does it tell us just to go and conquer, to impose God's will from the top down and say, well, make it, you know, this, this world under my banner and then force people to bend a knee to me now and doesn't tell us that. There's a different way that God calls us to reach our nation and it's so counterintuitive, it's brilliant. See, God calls us instead to go bless our nation, not to separate from it, not to rebel against it, not to conquer it, but to be his blessing in the midst of our culture. Because sin is a curse, and it brings death, and death is lousy. It causes pain and destruction. It causes darkness. No wonder the world is the way that it is. And God, I think it's important to remember that that John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one only begotten son, that's a world that hated him. But 3.17 is just as important. Right? That, that he did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came not to just rebel or to conquer. He came to save. What a blessing. And the thing is that trips us up on this so often is that we recognize as humans that we are at war with God. Scripture is very open about that. That humanity and this world are enemies of God right? We have made ourselves his enemy. We, we go to war against him. It says while we were still against him, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. We are at war with God and we get that, but something we don't get is that God is not at war with us. And this is profound because if God was at war with us, it would already be over. That Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He didn't come to smite us and destroy us. He came to save us. And so, now that we have been saved, and we are part of of, of God's kingdom, we can't go to war against a world that God is not at war against. We can't go to war against people that God is not at war with. They may be enemies of God, but he is not their enemy. To understand that is difficult, but to own it is important. So the effect of the Christians on our culture should not be one of hostility. We're not called to go into this world to be a curse. We are called to go into this world to be the agents of God's blessing. That's what he talks about, right? Where where he says that we are salt and light. Have you ever had a meal that didn't have any salt in it? It's awful. (laughs) Right? That when you add salt, it's delightful. You're walked into a room and it's all scary and dark and spooky you turn on the lights and it's good this world sometimes feels dark and spooky and we're supposed to be the lights of the world to be a blessing so the effect of god's church on our nation and our culture is supposed to be very good so how do we do that how is it that we go and bless 
Well, I think the first thing is that, that he says in this passage teaches us that we need to stay on mission. That's the first thing, that we're on God's mission, right? Paul even writes in there uh, about this. He, he says that I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger disputing. Now, that's a, that's a pretty big statement because he's very clearly in here saying, guys, I'm not just talking about the Jewish people. Like he says, I, I'm, I was called also to the Gentiles. I'm not lying about that. Like God called me to this. He wants men everywhere to lift up holy hands. Well, how are they supposed to do that if they're enemies of God? How are they supposed to do that if they're not saved? How are they supposed to do that if they've never been forgiven? You can't lift up holy hands in prayer to a God that you are at war with. The, we're talking about what he's, he, the vision here is massive saturation of the gospel, a global evangelization. This is huge. This is large-scale, big-scale stuff. But it's not just on foreign shores. He's talking about deep gospel penetration in their own communities, in places that we would think it's impossible. For the Jewish disciples, they would have thought it was impossible to have these Gentiles, these crazy pagans who worship all these foreign gods, lift up holy hands in prayer to God. Think how crazy that is. And yet, and yet, he says... I want everyone, everywhere, to be able to have this offering. The greatest blessing to understand this as a church that we can offer our nation and our community is Christ. It's the gospel. We talked about this a little while ago uh, about religion. Religion is great for containing our sin, right? It helps us behave like good little boys and girls, right? Because it cages all of the bad stuff in. Right? But the thing is, it doesn't change us from being the little beasties that need to be caged. A religion can't change profoundly who we are. Only Jesus can do that. But as Jesus restores our humanity, he changes us from the beast back into the, the prince and princesses of the kingdom that he's designed us to be. He transforms us. Scripture says he takes our heart of stone and replaces the heart of flesh. He rewrites his law on our hearts. He, he fundamentally transforms us. And you know what happens is, is God does amazing things in culture when people are transformed. And what is the only place, the only people in the world who know this truth, who have this power of the gospel to be able to share? It's you and me. You know, Starbucks can make great coffee and that'll make people happy. McDonald's has horrible hamburgers that taste really good, right? <laughs> and they, can, they can help people with that. But the church is the only place that the gospel can be dispensed. It is a blessing to a lost world that is hungry and thirsty for something better than the brokenness that the devil has served up. The greatest blessing that we can be for our culture is to bring the gospel to all people. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To teach them how to live a whole new and a better life. Bringing their lives into conformity to, with God's will and his ways. I mean, that's talk about holy hands, right? Because holy hands means that they're separate. It's different. They're not like they used to be. Right? So think about this. It's like uh, that he, he wants everyone to pray with, with holy is, is like uh, being special to act special, to be different. And as God calls us to be that kind of blessing, and the only way to transform people, to make them wholly different, unlike they used to be, is, is the power of the gospel, is the power of Christ. So we have to be a church that is on mission. 
Churches that fail to do this and just go about the other things, meeting social needs, which is important, and we'll talk about that, but, but churches that focus on those things or, or, or any other issue other than bringing the gospel first, transforming lives, making disciples, churches, when they move away from that, we, we forfeit the greatest blessing that we can bring to this community. We forfeit bringing to the community the greatest need, the spiritual need. We have to be focused first and foremost on bringing Christ to this community. If we stay on mission, we are just in that a blessing. So we are focused to make sure that we are making disciples that make generational transformational disciples. As we do that, however, we want to make sure that we're not doing it in a horrible, mean way. We're not here to rebel or to conquer, right? We're not here to impose God's law onto people. So the next thing that Paul really talks about, and that is important, it says that we have to practice virtue. And I like how I, I use that word practice because um, it takes effort and time. And we don't get it right at first, but it also, we have to put it into, uh, into our lives, right? So there's two portions of practice. One, we're, we're doing it and getting better. The other, we're actually just doing something. Our virtue has to be more than just a Sunday school lesson that we uh, nod and agree with and then go and just continue to live our lives however we used to live them, Right? And that's a, that's a really important thing. Because if Christians live like pagans and we don't have holy hands, we don't live our lives different, well, then what would give anybody any reason to believe that we are salt and light? We have to be different. And so the truths of God, his morality lived out in our life is a powerful testimony of the truth of the power of God's goodness, but it also is a blessing for our community. It, Paul says uh, here in uh, verse, uh, I think it's like uh, six, he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority. That's just verse one. For that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Verse 2, that's important, right? That, that he tells us that we're supposed to practice this virtue, right? The poor purpose that we're supposed to be here is, is not just that we're praying for those in authority that they will just, you know, do our will. We're praying those in authority so that we'll be able to do God's will. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives, right? So we talked about holiness. That's, that's acting special. That Realize that you are something special, in this world, you are salt and light. You are God's kingdom uh, ambassadors. But also, it has to be done in all godliness. We're not supposed to be haughty. And it means that, that we have to stop following our own morality and start following God's morality. That's that practice of the virtue. It's the faith. That the purpose of, of being able to live in this community, be a blessing, is to live as God wants us to. And guess what? That is naturally a blessing to, the, to our world. You know, it's a good thing in your home if you're not a, just a, a spiteful, mean person, right? If you practice forgiveness and truth and honesty and grace and kindness, aren't you a nicer person to be around? You know, employees who are honest and diligent, hardworking, right? Not selfish, right? Those kind of employees are a blessing for their employers, and employers who are honest and good and kind and thoughtful, aren't they good for their employees? 
You know, these are things that God has called us as Christians to be. And it's a good thing. If you have, if everybody in your neighborhood was living a godly life, wouldn't it be a nicer neighborhood? Fewer disputes and angry people? Same thing for our nation. Do you know that there's Christians scattered all throughout the United States? And if we would live according to what God called us to live like, the difference we could make culturally, not cursing but blessing, not harming but helping, not going to war to conquer, but to go to serve to be see that, that hearts could be changed. If we live God's priorities, if we live according to what he says is right, we make a difference. It may seem small, but when you do the right thing when no one's looking, you're going to do the right thing when you don't know somebody's looking as well. We live virtuous lives, not just for the benefit it brings ourselves. And as uh, you heard in today's communion meditation, there's a benefit to living a godly life. Blessings naturally come from that because we're living in harmony with the design of our creator. So life just works better because we're living like we were designed to work. But we also do that. It's part of our testimony. So we want to live peaceful and quiet lives. Not braggadocious, not conquering, not imposing, but living God's way. If we just trust him and, and practice the virtue that we read in scripture, you are making a difference. You are a blessing to your community. And our community is part of our nation, by the way. And so we encourage each other in that. Now, this is good, right? That's what Paul says. To do that, he says, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Now, do you see the, the tie that Scripture makes right in there directly between living virtuous lives and evangelism? It says we want to live good and peaceful godly lives because God wants all people to be saved. So if we don't live good and peaceful lives, are people going to be saved? I wouldn't want to be a Christian if all the Christians I knew were lousy, awful people who cheated me all the time and were just nasty. Why would I want to be like that? And so... We want people to come to a knowledge of the truth. We have to do what's called show and tell. We can tell them the gospel, and it's important that we do. We can't just hide it from them. But we also have to show it through our own lives. And sometimes it's not living a perfect life. It's not living because none of us are perfect. But it's living an honest life and allowing God to transform us. So if I've told a lie, to be able to stop and go to that person and say, you know what, that wasn't true, Right? And this is what is true. If I hurt somebody, to go and say, I apologize. I was wrong. If somebody's come and hurt me, it's to be the first one to go and declare peace and not war with them and to say, that really hurt. And I hope you don't do that again, but I'm going to forgive you. Right? And, uh, and I'm not going to continue to practice enmity between me and you. Right? If we live virtuous lives, it opens doors for evangelism. It opens doors for God's kingdom to come in and to do the real invasion of the human heart. As we do this, then we get to the third thing that's important, is that we have to promote peace, not war. That we're supposed to be promoters of God's kingdom and his goodness, and the peace that God has declared between him and sinful humanity. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so we wouldn't have to be enemies anymore. When Jesus was born... Right? What was the declaration of the angels? Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. When Jesus starts his kingdom and he, he says, gives the, uh, the, 
the Beatitudes, what does he say? Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the sons and daughters of God. The declaring peace is part of God's family work. This is part of our business. That, and I like how it says peacemakers, not peacetakers. Right? We're to be the ones that go into a chaotic world where there's not peace, and out of that chaos, bring the order and peace into it. Kind of like God brings order out of chaos. That's kind of what he does. And we're called to do that. Out of the mess and all of the brokenness and all the violence and all of those things that we are called to promote, to practice virtue and promote peace. That's why Paul begins this whole thing. He says, first of all, right, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority. Because, you know, their king wasn't a very godly man. You know, he was in the practice of, you know, torching Christians and doing things like this. You know, he was up there and basically saying that, that these people, these Christians were an enemy of the people. Like, our president would never do anything like that. But, but, but theirs did. And here's the thing. Even if in that extreme case, did he tell the Christians, go and fight against that godless, horrible man. Have a regime change. Pray for those in authority. Let me explain that to you. Even the king's even those who are in opposition, even those who, who might say that you are an enemy of the state. Don't take the bait. The devil's always baiting Christians to go and fight like everyone else, to just separate because he doesn't want the gospel out there, to rebel so that way we hurt the people we're supposed to go, or to conquer, and so that the misunderstanding of God's terms of peace. Don't take the bait. Don't take it. Pray for those in authority, even hostile kings. Right? That's a powerful thing for us as Christians because we know that the Prince of Peace is actually already conquered, that the war is already won, and that we are called as ambassadors into a foreign place to go and to tell the people in this nation who God is and to live that godly life before them so that the salt and the light is there so they have an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. So that God's uh, goodness will be able to open up their hearts and they can be transformed from the inside out. Nothing will impact our community, our culture, our nation more than having real people come to a real relationship with a real Savior who will transform them truthfully and really from the inside out. Who will grow in them these fruits of the Spirit of, of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness and self-control. I mean, all these things that there's no law against. He will put that into their own hearts that we won't have to have laws over us to tell us not to steal. We just wouldn't. Wouldn't that be nice? Do you want to see culture changed? It's not through legislation. It's the promotion of the peace terms that God has declared between him and himself and, and his people. Can we bring the gospel? Can we choose not to retaliate, but instead to pray and to bless those who curse us? It seems weak on one hand, but it is incredibly strong. It is powerful, and it transforms the world. So, to be a blessing, this is what we're called to be. It's hard. It's not what I want to do. In fact, even this week, I was, I was getting all mad because I would turn, I, I know that I should not watch the news. I know that I shouldn't, I shouldn't do it to myself. But I do, I turn it on, and then I remember God's word. 
And I'm reminded again of how wonderful it is that God has called us away from this dead and horrible society uh, of this, this way of, of living, this, this hatred and this, this, this separation and this demonization of people. Let's remember, we're not in a, a culture war. We're in a spiritual war. And if you change the spirit, God will change the culture. So let's change the spirit. That's power. So be a blessing. Be a blessing to the people in your home. Start there. Be a blessing to the people in this community. Live that virtue. Practice and promote peace. Stay on mission. This is how we affect and reach our nation for the gospel. How do you practice it? Well, on your connection card, I've got a few things to help you. Because the kingdom of God marches forward, which means we've got to be taking steps with it, right? First thing, you've got to know the marching orders. How are we supposed to stay on mission if we forget the mission? And you know what happened this week when I was getting all angry and upset? Is this passage reminded me that, yeah, God even called me to be a, 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 a promoter of his peace and his virtue even here when I wanted to take the bait and just think violent things. Instead, I was reminded that I need to pray for those in authority. I need to pray for our culture. I need to pray for those that are lost. I need to promote peace and not violence and not take the bait. I tell you what, memorizing scripture and meditating on it is a powerful tool. Take some time this week. Let God's word do its work in your heart. As you do that, maybe the next thing is you need to, to commit to this week is to stay on mission is to remember that God has you here for a reason. And it may seem small, but you're part of a very large kingdom of ambassadors. If you just do your part, if we all do our part, great things happen. And to remember that our lives in this world are not to conquer governments. It's to see 